0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast, conversation in cycling subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein. And today's episode is brought to you by the EBD Gear Shop. Everything you never knew you didn't need. The EBD Gear Shop has got you covered with the latest protagonist collection. Tops, torso covers, foot covers, foot mittens, socks, and more. And other stuff. God, I'm bad at this. Check out the EBD gear shop for all your EBD needs. (laughs) Today's guest has been entrenched in cycling his whole life. He grew up BMX, tricking, riding, race. I don't think he raced though. He has done a lot of mountain biking in his past. He grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, which is the basis of the ever famous Breaking Away movie. He's the founder of Trachosaurus Rex, a subculture blog from the early 2000s, which had a very significant role in changing the face of track bikes in the world. He now does Golden Saddle Cyclery, which is a community centric culture focused bike shop with repair and new bikes and good vibes. And they care about just keeping people on bikes and having the best experience they can. Golden Saddle is based out of Los Angeles. Such a solid dude. You can find him on Instagram at Kyle B. Kelly and at Golden Saddle Cyclery. Please welcome Mr. Kyle Kelly.
1: Who would have ever thought Traco was gonna have a kid?
0: What an intro that is. Did you ever have plans of having a kid? Was that like a long-term thing you wanted to do or no?
1: Yeah, no question about it. I actually, I think it came a lot later than I was expecting originally. Oh, um, but I think my first kid, Golden Tail Cyclery, is the reason it came later.
0: Very good point. Yeah, having a business is essentially having a child.
1: True. It's
0: like all encompassing. Takes over. And
1: actually, a... I guess Trachosaurus Rex was my legitimately my first child.
0: Yeah, I it would. It's like your first project. And actually, I have questions yeah. about, like. Let's just start. Let's start with this one. What's your first memory of cycling?
1: Uh, my first memory of cycling is my father letting go of me on a two wheeler and hitting a curb cut and crashing and knocking the wind out of me so bad that I never thought I would ride a bike again in my life. And I think I was probably four when that happened.
0: Yes, yeah, like I I call those scared straight moments.
1: Yeah. I was definitely scared straight.
0: You're like, cool. Uh, But now I
1: I look at it now and I'm just like, oh, that. Well, that was so scary to me then. Now, if I knock myself the wind out of me in a bike crash, I'm just happy. That's the only thing that happened to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, how things change.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right.
0: Uh, okay. And then, um, what about how, what, uh, what, this is kind of a big question, but what is it that you love about cycling?
1: Uh, to me, yep. the, the act of flying is what I like the most about cycling, um, which I got at a young age from BMX and then mountain bikes. And then the track bike, I felt like I was flying, but the tires were still on the ground, which was one of the craziest feelings. Um, you know, when we started just riding track bikes down hills, it, it felt you like you were flying, but you were on the ground the whole time. Um, which also gave me a very similar feeling to snowboarding, which I had quit snowboarding for college. um, So the track bike kind of filled that void for me as well. But that's where I just love flying.
0: I'm surprised you never got your pilot's license.
1: (laughs) I'm scared of flying like that, though.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) We got to read between the lines here. Yeah. Yeah. The you know what's funny is my wife Ellie always says that like cycling is like feeling like you're flying. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. It's like the I mean the quote unquote closest thing. It's like a very obtainable way to get that sensation.
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that the first airplanes and the fur and bikes had you know, there's such a a lineage there. Um a lot of people yeah, don't know that. That's
0: right. The Wright brothers yeah. were like uh and the first Golden They did Stone. bikes.
1: They did bikes and then airplane, and which is a logical next step. I think so. <laughs> I mean, my next my next shop is a airplane shop. It's not even a bike shop.
0: Are you going to focus on the hang gliding segment or just full? Oh plane? man,
1: I was in I was in the park the other day. One of the parks down south in Los Angeles, Kenneth Hahn. And this cat had a like parachute thing, and he was flying in the park. It was the, Whoa. it was wild. It was the craziest thing I'd seen in a long time. It made me so happy.
0: Whoa, like a like an Amazon thing, just like oh, it's the new fucking electric two wheeler. No, thing.
1: <laughs> this was like military grade parachute. Oh shit. That he had it, it was kind of breezy that day. It was one of the days that the breeze had blown a lot of the smoke out in Los Angeles, mm. so a lot of people were out. And he was in this park, just a public park, full of people, (laughs) full of children, full of dogs, with this parachute. And the breeze would come, and he would pull his levers, and the thing would go up in there, and he would fly from one end of the park to the other. It was wild. Cool. It was the coolest thing I've seen in a long time. Wait, how high are we talking? Like, 20 feet? It was like 20 feet max, but mostly like 5 to 7 off the ground. Oh.
0: Oh, that sounds... Very interesting.
1: Yeah. It's crazy because this park has a pretty serious drop-off on every side. Like, he could oh. fly off of this mountain, and I was just like, I cannot believe this guy's doing this. It was wild.
0: Yeah. I wonder if part of the location was the – because I know that, like, hang gliding, they work really good off of cliffs because there's some shit that happens with the wind.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't – I obviously, because they're always jumping off cliffs, so I figured that <laughs> – But, yeah, this one, the the park has a valley in the middle of it, so it's kind of like a bowl. And he would start at one end on the high part of the bowl and then fly across to the other part of the bowl, and then he would hike back and do it again. Sick.
0: Very interesting. It was crazy. Yeah, the funny thing, like stuff like that, because of age, it's like, uh, like now it's just like the risk-reward equation becomes more and more of a thing to focus on.
1: It really it really does and I I try to tell myself that with mountain biking these days um but there's this there's this issue I have when I'm on a mountain bike I just I no longer think about things like that <laughs> everything it's just it's like about going as fast as I possibly can and going as big as I possibly can Oh my it's just kind of crazy
0: Yeah Is that from BMX background
1: I would say it it would have to have come from that you know
0: it's right i don't know what the hell else yeah because that means like you have a familiarity with like quote unquote getting rad that is just kind of maybe set the foundation okay that actually makes me think have you ever had any proper like big injuries from the bike yeah yeah quite a few oh cool and they didn't they didn't scare you out of or like you know scare you straight
1: no actually Um, I have this conversation quite often whenever if I'm in a really bad bike accident if I'm able to get up and ride I go harder immediately so I'm not scared of that crash Um, obviously when a crash is so bad that you can't ride away from it it changes things you have to kind of figure out how to overcome that crash later on. But for the most part, you know, if I'm in an accident and I can ride away from it, I go that much faster right afterwards to make sure I'm not scared of that particular crash.
0: Yeah, interesting. That's like your way to reset the PTSD. Yeah. Like you kind of neutralize it before it sets in.
1: Yeah, and it's something I've always done. And I never even thought about it like that until one day I was with, you know, one of my business partners, Sean Talkington, and he was like, I've never seen anyone crash like you and get up and then just go. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm, it seems like I'm doing that for a reason. And I eventually found out. I was like, oh, I'm doing this because I don't want to be scared of the incident I was just in.
0: Which is, yeah, really, because I've, dude, that's the hook is you go down with like anything or if, yeah, like. Even like I broke my foot skateboarding a couple years back, simple thing. It wasn't a big deal, but it really was like, okay, maybe I'm done fucking with this thing because yeah. this simple little thing had this like six month consequence.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, things like your hands and your feet, it's just so easy to do, do harm to them. And they're so important for your daily life. That is a, right. that's like something to think about. <laughs> that's pretty funny.
0: Uh, okay, how, back, to the, back to the questions. How did you discover track bikes? And where were you when you did that, when that happened?
1: Uh, I was in Bloomington, Indiana. That was
0: Indiana. Cool.
1: Yeah, so I was, at, I was at, it was right before college, so probably like 2001.
0: Sick.
1: Uh, there was a, remember that magazine, Stance? I think it was Stance. Stance
0: was a skateboard
1: of the... magazine? Yeah, Skateboard Culture magazine.
0: Yeah, it sounds right? really familiar.
1: They did a article. I mean, it's so funny because I just cleaned out um, like a storage facility the other day with all this old Traco stuff. Oh, cool. And there was three of those magazines in there with the article. And the article is how to convert, you know, oh. a old road bike oh. into a track bike. So did that right before I went to college. Um, so I wasn't riding my expensive mountain bike around college and locking it up
0: and then was college in bloomington
1: yes in bloomington indiana
0: and then i feel like it should go it shouldn't go without saying is bloomington is where uh the little 500 the movie the cutters it's, it's a small town in the midwest that has kind of a lot of cycling cultural history
1: yeah so the movie's breaking away thank you and Cutters are a local team that aren't part of the school. Right, um, right. You know, that was because they are limestone cutters or what people are called from Indiana. Oh,
0: yeah, because the race is, is, is like college-sanctioned or something weird, right? Yeah.
1: It's usually fraternities and sororities, um, weird. and there's been controversy throughout the years whether – like local teams and stuff like that can do it. Right, um, okay. And that's kind sort of what the movie talks about. And it's gone back and forth since that movie came out.
0: How weird.
1: But the opening scene that where they're on the slab of rock in the water. Mm, yeah. Uh, that's a super famous uh, limestone quarry that we used to go swimming at in college.
0: Oh, cool. Quarries are awesome. They're so
1: like, unique. They're very cool. Very unsafe. Just yeah, saying, right? <laughs> I mean, there's there's cars in those things. Oh, you can do shit. some of the big jumps. People have hit hit cars at the bottom, stuff like that.
0: Wow, interesting. Yeah, like where people learn how to do drugs and push their limits.
1: <laughs> true, very true. <laughs> kind of uh, where I learned how to do drugs and push my limits.
0: It was. I thought I was figured it would be more on the bike than anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I actually wasn't riding uh, bikes as much then. I was legitimately only using it for transportation. Uh, college really college. took over.
0: Yeah, and that's yeah. like a youth thing. Like, I think when people in that age, it's common to kind of like be in bike when they're younger. Kind of, eh, it gets fuzzy around that age. And then, you know, maybe 20s, it starts to come back in.
1: Yeah, it felt good that, because I kept, I was riding, but it was just as transportation. I mean, I was riding a lot every day but uh yeah it wasn't i wasn't like riding for fun you know it wasn't until yeah, i moved i moved to chicago um and kind of fell in with a bunch of kids on track bikes there and really started to ride track bikes for fun there
0: oh cool and then was that when tra- like when did traco start during all this
1: traco started in in los angeles so oh In Chicago, yeah, in Chicago, it was, you know, it was all bike forums. Um, Man, bike forums, the fixed gear uh, part of bike forums, that was crazy, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, but Um, also it's pretty, that's, like, very forward acting and thinking, you know what I mean? Like, precursor to, like, like, blogs were, like. Maybe even not that much of a thing at
1: that point. I don't I don't even think they were a thing at that point. Yeah, cool. Um, everybody was just on forums. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I met a gentleman named Steven Nario. And he was kind of one of my, he was like my Los Angeles dad. Uh, him and this guy, John Tobias. Those two really showed me everything about Los Angeles that I still love to this day. No and Steven and I started Traco together.
0: Oh, Whoa, the silent partner.
1: Well, he wasn't silent in the beginning, but then it just kind of like spiraled out of control. It was just like, whoa, this is this is so much <laughs> more than we ever wanted it to be. Oh shit! Uh, so it became like a full time job.
0: Yeah, did it ever become a full time job?
1: I mean, I never made money off of it. I, I had to I had to close the website recently because I was still spending so much money on it and not making money on it. Right. Uh, yeah. So yes, it was a full-time job that I did not get paid for ever. But also, you know, we did product and we, we sold product and that, you know, that kept the site going for the long long run. But once GSC happened, it was really hard to keep doing Traco.
0: Yeah. And GSC's Golden Cycle Saddle Re, which is Kyle's current shop and project. And what is that, like a 10-year-old child at this point?
1: It's, it's 10-year-old. 15? It's 10 years old at this point. Um, there was oh. three of us originally. Uh, Thomas Wood, Ty Hathaway, and myself. Um, and Thomas actually went up to Portland to work at SpeedVog and Vanilla. And Ty Hathaway and I are still the current owners of Golden Saddle Cyclery. Sick.
0: And then actually, we're gonna, I want to step back just a minute. Can you just explain what Traco is for anyone that maybe doesn't
1: know? Uh, Tracosaurus <laughs> Rex uh, was my old blog that was very much uh, the precursor to creating a track bike, Community across the world. Um, it was it was just news and photography, um, and culture, uh, but on on the internet.
0: It was it was fucking cool too. It was definitely like in the early aughts, as they say these days. It was like the go-to source for all things track bike, and I think it pre pre it was for sure before Prawley's thing.
1: I think we were about the same time. But mine was track bike centric and his was uh, design, music, bikes, kind of that kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah. I re- but I remember at the time it was like Traco was like finger on the pulse, not even finger on the pulse, like kind of guiding the culture here and there. Like yeah. it was fucking awesome. Yeah. And it was, so then the, I feel like I went back recently and looked at like, I was like, what was the first Traco post? And it might've been like you driving to San Francisco for something with Hiroshi
1: Fujiwara. Is that right? No, that was, that was late. It had, it had been around for a little bit longer. It was. Okay. Um, we delivered, we delivered a bike to him.
0: Dude, what? Uh, in the
1: How, what the fuck? I mean, that's what it was. I mean, it was crazy. I didn't even know who the guy was. Right. I didn't know he was such a big deal. And then later on, I mean, one of the biggest designers of all times now. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Like, track bikes connected so many different kinds of people um across the globe i mean it was it was absolutely wild it was it was a beautiful time in my life for sure
0: yeah i think for a lot of us
1: yeah no th- of course I mean, obviously we met because of Trachosaurus rex a hundred percent and it's how i met you know most people well, that makes sense
0: yeah and I always think too, like how fortunate we were to be at that that was just like time and place, you know, yeah, five years earlier, right. five years later, you kind of missed the boat.
1: yeah I mean if you if you didn't get to see, I mean there was a beginning even before us um, that we weren't a part of, uh, which was beautiful as well. and you know, one thing Trachosaurus Rex did was dig up that history oh, as God. well to make sure the kids our age knew that there was there was cats doing this way before us, even, you know.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of it was graffiti and messenger stuff, was it not? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, West Coast, graffiti and messenger stuff, for sure. East Coast, it seemed like it was more messenger. Totally. But, I mean, you know, learning about Barry McGee on track bikes and stuff yeah. like that um, through a couple of my friends in San Francisco, and, I mean, that was just was so beautiful.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think know- about it. Yeah.
1: The bike is such an easy ladder to get that much higher than someone without a bike.
0: Oh, you mean because of like entrant entry? It's so easy to enter?
1: No, ladder. Like if you're going to get up, you're going to get up above someone else. I don't understand. You're painting.
0: Oh, as a la- like a physical booster. Yeah. Yeah, but it could use you could use any I, I was so – one thing that's kind of funny about Barry McGee and Mays and those guys, amazing artists, like definitely culture makers, but they are like flavor of the month heads also, like track bikes, scooters, surfing, like uh, what the hell, like not really down for the cause, just like hot to trot, you know? Like, well, I mean,
1: I, I know that a lot of them are still – they still got their bike and they're still surfing, so – You know, I think they just wanted to step away from the limelight a lot. I actually, you know, think they probably are still doing a lot of those things. But, you know, they just weren't, you know, they just got too big. (laughs) Totally.
0: Okay, uh, save the track bike.
1: Can you explain? Um, So save the track bike happened because of fixed gear freestyle. And bikes, bikes were becoming not track bikes. Uh, so you started having bikes like the bruiser, the Brooklyn machine works, these, these bikes that took a bigger tire were a fixed gear bike were not a track bike. Um, so save the track bike was a commentary on the fact that these, these, the bike's geometry was changing. Uh, the handlebars were changing. Like these things were changing these, a bike into a, a new bike and everybody wanted to call it a track bike, but it wasn't a track bike. Mm. Uh, a fixed gear freestyle bike so you know save the track bike man you know have a fixed gear freestyle bike but don't forget where you came from have the, this track bike as well
0: yeah and a little bit like no is it like a know your history kind of a thing
1: too? yeah i mean you know track rex was all about what came before us in trying to educate people on that and i i tried to keep doing that um throughout TrackSorcerX's existence, which I think was around probably over 10 years. Um, and, you know, S- Save the Track Bike came from a fashion thing called Save the Trees, which was this thing in, in New York Fashion Week where they made these buttons um, about this event that wasn't going to happen. Um, and that's kind of where it came from.
0: Cool. Yeah, I like it. Okay, what about uh, Peak Gravel?
1: we are switching gears all of a sudden. Yeah. No, for sure. I ride bikes off-road. Um, <laughs> to me, the word gravel in the first place is a, is a bad term for bikes um, because a gravel bike is just a road bike with fat tires, and we were all riding those before. There was things called gravel bikes. Um, I think peak gravel was probably five years ago, um, but I also think that these these new kinds of bikes – these Swiss Army Knife bikes um, with like two different wheel sizes. I think in theory they're a great idea. Um, but being at a bike shop all the time, if you don't ride your two wheel sets the same amount, um, you wear through stuff a lot quicker. So sometimes just having the one wheel size um, and one tire set is, is a better thing. Um, I just feel like gravel turned into a way for the bike industry to sell people more things.
0: What would you call gravel? You just be like road, road bikes right with big tires. It's kind of clunky.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just in? call road, I just call road cycling.
0: Yeah, but it's not on a road. I mean, or it's not a paved trail.
1: road. No, it's not on paved roads. Those are
0: roads. You just call it all road.
1: All road is good. Okay,
0: I got. Hold on, I got to make a list here. We we want to. We don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. What about? I just have mountain bike. <laughs> Is that enough to go off? Or is that too big?
1: Um, no, I mean, to me, mountain biking is the thing that still makes me feel young, young. I mean, even younger than a track bike makes me feel
0: young. young. Uh, is that like, your you know,
1: like,
0: hip hop alias?
1: <laughs> it could be, <laughs> um, I absolutely love mountain biking. I think it is the, the purest form of joy I can have personally. Um, you know, for my birthday was yesterday and the day before that, um I I got some friends together to go ride a bike park. Um, oh, wow. which isn't which isn't always my favorite thing to do on a mountain bike. Um, but man, sometimes just riding berms and jumps and smooth trails with friends, there's just nothing better. Cool. And
0: what kind of what kind of bikes are you riding right
1: now? Um Man, I'm I'm riding, I'm riding my tracks, track bikes more than anything, um, oh, cool. especially during the start of the pandemic. Um, there weren't cars on the road, so we were just we were just riding track bikes everywhere throughout the city. going to new parts of Los Angeles we never spent time in before. Uh, doing that a lot. Um, a lot of this, the forests have been closed. so uh-huh. my, my fat tire road bikes are not making it out and about as often as you know they usually would. Um, you know, and I'm mountain biking when I can, but it's not often, um, just because, you know, for mountain biking here, you need a car. Um, even though the stuff, the trails are close, but if you want to get really, if you want to get back there, you need a car. Um, so that's been a little bit stressful, but yeah, definitely been riding, um, my FBM sword track bike a ton, um, which is currently my oldest bike. I've had that bike longer than any other bike I own right now. Wow. Uh, I've been riding my Speedwagon uh, track bike, which I did for the build-off with Speedwagon okay. uh, a couple of years ago. I remember it. That thing was awesome. Yeah, It's so good. It's so fast and it's so comfortable. It had like a Sun Ra uh, vibe. Is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. it
1: was. <laughs> based on. A, it was actually based on a painting of Sun Ra. Um, okay. But yeah, so been riding the track bikes a ton. I've been riding the mountain bike when I can, but it hasn't been often. Um, I recently built up a kind of a commuter crust bike, one of the Canty Lightning Bolts. Um, and it's actually just going to probably become my road bike. Uh, that thing's been a lot of fun, too. Lightweight, fat, comfortable.
0: Cool. Uh, any carbon fiber in there?
1: Um, my new – I really try not to ride – Carbon fiber, but my new mountain bike is a Santa Cruz 5010 from last year. They've redesigned it now, and I, I actually got this bike because I wanted to make sure to have this bike because the redesign, I don't like it as much. Um, so I built up a Santa Cruz 5010. That is the only carbon bike I have.
0: Uh, why do you not like carbon? And then what is it that you like about the 5010 that you
1: have? Um, so I really just enjoy the way steel bicycles ride. Um, it almost always feels like they're working with you instead of against you, which some carbon bikes just can be so stiff. It feels like you're really working against the bike to make it do what you want it to do. Um, you know, the 5010, uh, they make an aluminum version of it. Uh, I actually don't think I've even ever seen an aluminum version of it, but I know they make one. Uh, but the reason I like that bike so much, cause it, it's like a, it's a mountain bike BMX bike. It's, it has a little bit shorter travel, um, it's not as long as a lot of the modern mountain bikes. It has a lower bottom bracket. Um, so it still is, it's, it's quite fast. Um, but you can still bunny hop it onto a picnic table, but
0: Holy you can't shit. do that. With mountain uh, I, I don't think the bike matters on that one for me.
1: <laughs> You'd be surprised though. The short travel bikes with that kind of geometry, sometimes you can just preload them and they'll get up there for you.
0: So is this a full suspension bike? Yes. And then, what do you define as short travel? Uh, 130.
1: Oh, cause one so thirty. Oh,
0: because one. one hundred to one thirty. One to one thirty. Oh, okay. Interesting. Huh. I feel like I want to go down a little rabbit hole here. Yeah. What is? So, uh, I got to I got to turn it on me for a second. But this is because I want your advice. So, riding a lot of gravel bikes. Uh, and more and more progressively it's getting to be like crazier and crazier terrain. And now I'm like starting to understand like where a mountain bike lives, but the hook is I still want to do distance, but I want to do, I don't like getting so beat. I'm tired of getting beat up on the bike. Yeah. What the hell is that? Nothing really exists that can, What like what fulfills that?
1: Oh, I mean, the 650B 2.0 tire, running it at, you know, 27 PSI is oh, 27. really going to help.
0: Seven.
1: I mean, oh you could God. even go lower than that.
0: What the fuck?
1: I'm taking then, And then, <laughs> and then uh, I mean, another thing is, you know, getting dropper posts on those bikes um, will really make you more confident and it'll make you tense up less going down things. And the tenseness sometimes is what beats you up and you don't realize it. You think it's the terrain, um, but it's actually your body reacting to being, you know, kind of fearful of something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is true. I didn't grow up riding trails and I can see when I ride with someone who has spent a lot of time riding mountain bikes from back in the day, they just have like,
1: they're I just I mean, they have 30 trails. years. Yeah. They have 30 years of experience on top of it that than you do, you know, it's, yes, it, it, it's, well, it's actually unfair. It's unfair. Kind of, sure.
0: But, you know, whatever. Like you don't get to choose the, you know, the background that you have. Yeah, it's true. Huh, okay. Yeah, I'm confused about all the mountain bike stuff right now. Uh...
1: I mean, hardtail hardtail mountain bikes are I mean, they're very much you can ride them all day like a gravel bike um, and usually feel less beat up at the end of the day. You don't, have many, you don't have as many hand positions, but you can fix that with like an Ergon-style grip yep. and a bar. Um, yes. And then you can move your hands around a lot, which is really nice. Totally. Uh, but it sounds like air pressure may be your biggest issue, Dustin.
0: It probably is. And I've even would, on the podcast, I've had people tell me lower, and I'm like, okay, I'll go lower. And then I yeah. just like kind of – I'll think it's low. I'll be like, 35 is good, right? I'll be like, no, lower. Okay, here's a question. How do you, without a uh, tire gauge, how do you know how, how do you gauge your pressure?
1: I just do it by feeling it, feeling the tire with my hand, but that's also, that's also that 30 years of doing that, you know?
0: Huh. Well, and then the Ultra D guys said to just go as low as you can go. But then, so I tried that and then I'm just fucking like smashing my rim on everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, you really have to—you have to be smooth whenever you're riding low PSI. You got to really choose your lines a little bit smarter, um, you know. And that's another thing with mountain biking that you learn: like you, you're no longer riding the trail that's in front of you. You're riding the trail that's 30 feet in front of you. That's um, totally. And you make sure you know your bike, you know, 30 feet from now is going to be in the right position to get you through like a rock garden Um, because you can't make decisions right away. I mean, if if a rock garden is directly in front of you, you just got to plow through it. And that's why if you have low air pressure, a lot of times you'll just burp or rip your tire or something like that.
0: Yeah. I can tell from experience that I'm not looking ahead enough. That's a really, that's good advice.
1: Yeah. Cause you know, 50, 50 feet is, is where I'm looking. 30 feet is where a lot of people feel comfortable, but you, you gotta be looking ahead.
0: And part of that's just how fast you're going.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: This guy is blazing saddles over here.
1: <laughs> I do like riding bikes very fast.
0: <laughs> yes, you do, and you're fucking good at it too. Like I feel like people don't understand how technically sound you are.
1: It's like a weird way to yeah, say it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I also I don't I don't get to ride bikes with a lot of people, um, you know, because of work and stuff like that. When we were doing the GSE rides, I was able. To ride with a lot of people but i'm always riding back to make sure everybody's good oh sweet So right. yeah, I, mean, I you know i i don't i don't look the part that's for sure and people get confused by that yeah which is a bummer because we never should really look at someone and try to judge their their ability on a bicycle because you have no clue you know yeah. i look like a i guess i you know I guess hobbits should be good at mountain biking, so you should look at me and be like, oh, this guy's good at mountain biking, he looks like a hobbit.
0: Wait, hobbit, no, I think more of the, like the, oh, shit, what are the ones, not the hobbits, the other, oh, oh, well, it's pointless, anyways. (laughs) (laughs) The No, there was one of the Lord of the Rings, the hobbits helped the somethings find, they have like the hammers, I wanna say Thor, but that's not right, that doesn't make any different,
1: whatever. I know what you're talking about the 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 one the things with fuzzy boots and all that and the sledgehammers. Yeah, they're not. I don't remember what they. I don't know what they are. Uh, and there's like. I definitely. I got that. I got that look a little bit though, for sure.
0: I mean, you, well, you really after realizing that you grew up with BMX, I was like, oh, you have a BMX body, because you're yeah. just like dense. And those fuckers are just
1: very like, dense.
0: You're not even that short, but they're like short and like thick. So they can yeah. like, throw fucking jokes I mean, of metal?
1: Those guys work out now to ride BMX bikes. It's so crazy. That makes sense. You know, sense. we we got strong from lifting these super heavy bikes, and now BMX bikes are so light, they have to work out to be able to do what they do. That's I mean, it's crazy. crazy. I, don't, I don't know if you follow any BMXers on Instagram, but there's this kid, Brad Sims. I don't even know if he's a kid, but he's obviously younger than I am. But that man can bunny hop his bike like six feet somehow it just
0: shit
1: look him up brad sims he does the craziest things i've seen on a bmx bike in a long time and he rides a bmx bike almost like he's retired Hmm. because he's doing things that you would do in a much smaller scale if you rode bmx your whole life and you wanted to still be doing it as an adult but he does it at a scale that is looks like he's in an amusement park bunny hopping, you know, a twenty-foot road gap off a little curb cut that's three inches tall. You know, it's, it's so crazy. Brad Sims, look him up. Like, unbelievable. I think he <laughs> actually just got rider of the year for BMX Mag.
0: Oh, that's sick.
1: That's I think cool. he's based in San Francisco in oh, most of his Instagram is slow-mo videos, <laughs> and they have to be in slow-mo because it's the only way to comprehend how crazy the thing is he's doing
0: that's fucking cool yeah that's a a funny thing it reminds me that i feel like the bmx culture has always kind of had not not a bad rap but like it never really like it's really hard for bmx athletes to like be full-time bmx athletes like it's almost like this subculture that's like a notch it's definitely below skating like it's never yeah, quite I mean, like
1: made it? Had it. It had its heyday um, in the in the 70s. People made money off of it. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, it never it never went back to a money making thing after that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a bummer because I feel like man, 90% of the people that I know and even just in other. Um, disciplines like through like skate culture and stuff so many people like oh i grew up bmx and it's like how does this thing like affect so many people but then just kind of stay at this like young realm but not have like a a, i don't know it's just confusing
1: to me well it it, it's so funny because i think i have the answer to that it's 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 getting your driver's license Uh, yeah Um, The thing is is with skateboarding once you get your driver's license you get opened up to so many more skate spots because you throw your skateboard in the trunk you go you're gone you know with a bike as a young kid you didn't have your driver's license use the bike to get to the spots yes and you could get so much further than you could with a skateboard yeah so you know you could get five miles down the road to hit this spot but once you got the car you know it's you either throw a bike rack on it or you throw the bike in it somehow and it just kind of, it got so much harder. It was so much easier then it gets so much harder. So then kids, you know, after 16 really kind of let go of it, maybe start skateboarding more. Um, or they just, they just quit everything and just drive cars around and party.
0: Yep. Yeah. 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 I think that's super accurate. I I feel because
1: we all have, we're all given bikes growing up, you know, um, and you choose to do what you want with it, but it, most likely as a kid, you're given a BMX bike because that's what fits kids the best. And they so, like can be dropped and shit. They're strong, yeah. sturdy. Exactly. So the thing is this bike, you know, it can become your hobby or once you have another form of transportation that's easier than biking, you know, to your friend's house, um, sometimes you just you forget about it. And I think that's why BMX will never be what it was um, in the 70s. It was yeah. just so yeah. new.
0: Yeah, well, I always compare it to, or, like, think of the Skate, because Skate and BMX were, like, going, they both died, Skate came back, died again, then went mega, and BMX just kind of, like, slowly sort of, like, leveled out into whatever it is now.
1: Yeah, for sure. But, man, the bikes have gotten so much better and are so fun to ride now because they weigh nothing. Um, the geometries have changed for wheelies and manuals and nose manuals and stuff like that. Oh. Um, I mean, it's crazy. I, I highly recommend anyone riding a modern BMX bike at some point, um, even if it's just around the block, because they're just so they're so fun.
0: Wait, how much does like a what's like a modern BMX bike weigh compared to and how much did they used to weigh?
1: If they used you... to weigh like 35 pounds and they can be like yeah. 23. <laughs>
0: Thirty-five
1: pounds. It's it crazy. So hard to lift a fucking twelve-year-old, yeah, I mean,
0: prepubescent, skinny-ass kid. Like, how the hell are you supposed to jump anything with that?
1: Well, that's the thing is that's why bikes got light, so kids didn't get strong. So then they had to start working out <laughs> to be able to do the tricks that they're doing now. It's crazy.
0: Could you ever do a tail whip? I could. You think you have you? You that's just one you probably got to keep doing, huh?
1: Yeah, I I haven't I haven't done one since I was seventeen.
0: That's
1: fucking sick. And I've never done one over a double. I've only done one over a tabletop. Um, I was I was always scared to do one over a legitimate legitimate dirt jump.
0: How the fuck did you start learning? Cause no foam pit.
1: No, there was. I mean, foam pits started to be a thing as I was getting older. But no, you just uh, you learned mostly stuff from lake jumping.
0: Oh, so, that's a great yeah, idea.
1: Uh. Two of my good friends growing up who were much older than me, uh, Abe and Eric, they had a property out in the country that had a dock and a lake and we built this wooden jump and you learned, <laughs> you learned flips, you learned tail whips, you learn 360s, um, into the water first and then you had to try it usually on a tabletop first because you don't have a gap in the middle um, and then eventually if you, you feel like you have the trick dialed, you do it over the, the big jump.
0: Dude, so much of that stuff is just repetition.
1: Yeah. He's it really done. is. I mean, it, it's all muscle memory. Uh, you know, even jumping a bike, like understanding the, the idea that your, your front tire has to come down before your rear tire is very confusing to people. Um, wait and
0: on a flat or on, when you land on like a trend,
1: like, like a- when you land in a landing, Yeah, you know, yeah. it's okay. all about in that not front wheel.
0: Front first, not yeah. at the same time.
1: Well, I mean, you can do the same time, but usually when you do the same time, um, that it's usually because you are you're doing a big trick, and you're you're like relying on gravity to put your feet back on the pedals.
0: <laughs> you know, like, because, but if you're initially. in the thing is,
1: with dirt jumping, it's all about rhythm sections. So you have multiple jumps after one another, oh. and usually there's not enough time to oh. pedal in between them. So you're pumping too. So you're doing the trick in the air, and then you're putting your front tire down and pumping your bike through the landing to keep your speed for the next jump, which is normally a bigger jump.
0: Oh, shit. Dude, that could go wrong <laughs> so fast.
1: It goes wrong all the time. All the
0: time, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that's cool. Okay, what about, have you? like, I never really learned how to bunny hop. Can you, yeah. could you explain it? Like, how do you bunny hop?
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem is a lot of people, you know, think they know how to bunny hop because of clipless pedals. And no,
0: that's they, not how you do I know that.
1: That's cheating. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't understand that. And they also think that's how you jump a bike off of a jump, which is not. It's fucking you know,
0: sketchy because that shit pops yeah, out.
1: They, they do. <laughs> um, but the way to bunny hop is you pull your handlebars up to your chest. And that first pull up to your chest gives your bike the height which it can be. So if oh, you pull up. Yeah, so basically because what happens is you're your tire is high as the bike is long so if you're just pulling up and then when you do the push forward it's what brings your rear tire up so you've brought your handlebars up as high as you can and then when you do the push that's what causes the bike to do that you know so it's pulling the handlebars up to your chest first and then pushing them forward to get the rear wheel up and over something or onto something
0: so okay pull up and then at the 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 peak of that pull up, then you jump and
1: push. Then you push, yeah. You You are, you're at the peak, you can't jump anymore. So So your peak is when you would start to push forward on the handlebars.
0: So when are you like, is it probably right at the beginning you're pushing off with your feet?
1: No, a little bit. You know, it's, you, you're, it's actually surprisingly how little your feet do Uh, in a bunny hop.
0: Right, it's It's more of like it's like a, like a whip, like a finesse.
1: Yeah, exactly. It is exactly like a whip. I've never even thought about it like that, but yeah, it is like kind a whip. Of
0: it. The energy,
1: it. the energy from the original pull is what allows you to push to get the rear wheel higher.
0: Interesting. Obviously, similar to an ollie, but an ollies have this like obvious point of impact, so it's yeah. different, of course. But it's yeah, still the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, they're very similar things. Um, But with a bike, it's all upper body, you know, and, you know, obviously the skateboard is all, you know, the pop.
0: Yeah, and it's all lower body. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, okay, cool. I
1: appreciate that. That's good. I mean, really the best way to learn how to, to bunny hop is to put something small on the ground and start trying to get your front wheel over it higher than your rear wheel um, because the thing is everybody does that like negative bunny hop where your rear wheel is higher than your front wheels and i don't really understand how that's possible but it'll give you an idea of like how you got to pull your front wheel up to be able to get that rear wheel up higher
0: okay and then what would you say what's the best tool
1: to learn this on i would just i would take like a two by four and have it flat which bike first which bike tool? Um, I mean, the, the thing is you do it with every, whatever bike you ride the most. Yeah, but it's hard as uh, so fuck to do with a drop bar bike. It actually isn't as long as you just don't do it in your drops. If you're on your hoods really? or on your flats, uh, those bikes are actually really easy to bunny up.
0: Okay, then would you say that those bikes are easy to manual on?
1: No, okay. very difficult. Okay, so to manual then they're, obviously
0: those are different things.
1: Yeah. Interesting, okay. Wheelies are so much harder than bunny hops. Oh, Most what? people will go through their whole life riding bikes and not be able to wheelie. Yeah. Um, but everyone will learn, eventually learn how to bunny hop because you need it to be able to get through, or get out of the way of things.
0: Okay, I'm gonna set, I'm gonna start with a broomstick though. You you your two by four set the bar a little
1: as your front wheel. <laughs> as, you, as long as your front wheel goes over it higher than your rear wheel, that's you're doing it right. All right.
0: All right, thanks. Uh, Okay, check my stories later. You can see my progress. (laughs) Uh, Should we go back to the question board? Yeah. Uh, This question is kind of
1: stupid, but I don't know.
0: Has the shop seen the boom, the cycling boom? I'm sure you guys have been busier than ever.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, No question about the, the, the bike shop world exploded when we thought it was going to tank. We had no clue what the pandemic was going to do for us. Um, but it also has, while bike shops have made money, um, you're not, I wouldn't say you're necessarily making customers for life, um, oh. which is what Hotel Cycleria is always, you know, kind of banked on. Um, you know, you, you're definitely selling the cheapest bike that you have in your store over and over again, rather than putting people on quality bikes that are gonna make them fall in love with cycling.
0: That is, I love this topic of conversation. It's so fascinating. Like people just want a quick, cheap fix. And I would assume that because it's this cheap, shitty fix, it's like not the greatest experience.
1: It isn't, and it can't be, you know. Um, It can't be. I would say out out of the many bikes that we sold during this pandemic, I would say maybe six out of all of them are customers that are going to stay customers. Yeah, Keep riding their
0: bike. Interesting. Oh, yeah. And obviously, fucking d- decades worth of doing this, you can kind of, you have a gauge of what's going to happen. Yeah. Not. You,
1: you know, you know, you know from the second you're selling the bike to someone. Um, and, you know, it kind of feels bad because maybe someone that really was going to fall in love with cycling was unable to get a bike because everything sold out. You know, and it really hurt in the beginning. Luckily, all the bikes sold out. And then we didn't feel bad about anything because we just couldn't do anything. Uh, cool. You know, but there would be times where, you know, you would see a bike going out the door and you're like, man, I don't know. This bike may just hang up for the rest of its life. Uh, you know, I hope I hope the resale market next year. I hope these people that bought these bikes and aren't using them sell them because I think that, that's going to be very important for getting people that actually want to ride bikes on bicycles, Mm. but yeah, it's been, it's been kind of crazy, but the craziest part is someone has an old bike that has a broken rear derailleur, nine speed rear derailleur. You go to do a tune up on it, needs the derailleur and those derailleurs aren't available for months, you know, maybe till January. So have you have this thing where after the bike shops ran out of bikes, people then went and bought used bikes and then hmm. we were fixing the world was fixing so many used bikes that we used up all the parts cuz we were unable to get parts wow. and so we have we have a couple bikes in the bike shop that have been there for over 6 months just waiting on a part that's not available till January whoa yeah that's crazy
0: yeah obviously supply chain issues yeah huh Uh, let's see. Okay. What are, what are some of the most common questions you get asked at the shop? And I don't know if there's like a, if it's different because of the pandemic, but you know, there's everything you do. People ask like a lot of, you know, like I'm talking too much. (laughs)
1: Um, probably the most common question is, can I get a bike for $350?
0: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So people just want a fucking cheap ass bike.
1: Yeah. Dude, what and the, I get it because you don't know if you're going to, you're going to love it, but also if you don't give it a chance, you can't love it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, you can't ever fall in love with something unless you give it a chance. Um, that's, has to do with people, friends, bikes, you know, you have to give it a chance or you'll never fall in love.
0: I like this you advice. Know? This is really good. Dude, so you probably have this conversation a lot then.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't, um. <laughs> Recently, because I haven't been at the bike shop recently, um, obviously, because I just had a child. Um, But yeah, it's a it's a very common conversation. You know, you really have to. The thing is, like, if you want someone to fall in love with bicycles, you have to give them the tools to fall in love with the bike. Um, You have to give them the bike that's going to be comfortable for them to ride. It's got to be the bike that is the right bike for them. You know, which a skinny, tired road bike is not the right bike for 90 percent of the people out there. Um, a track bike is not the right bike for 90% percent of the people out there. Um, you know, bikes like Rivendell's sometimes are the best bikes to get human beings on to fall in love with cycling. Hmm. Um, cool. Because none of us are, none. I mean, some of us are racing still, but like I'm not racing. You know, I have more fun riding my Rivendell than I have riding any of my fast drop bar bikes. Um, and, you know, I'll go mountain biking on the Rivendell because the bike is completely capable of doing that. We just don't, we don't let us think that it is. Uh, but the thing is, you set someone up on a bike that fits them, that's comfortable, that is going to be used for what they want to use it for. You give them the tools to be able to figure out how to loop the chain, fix a flat if you get one, um, and then you even can introduce them into a family or a community, and it's a no-brainer. You're going to have a cyclist. For the rest of their life um, but you know someone that just wants to come in buy the bike because you have it it's the price they want to spend they don't want anything else they don't even want a water bottle cage like you're you're setting yourself up for disaster um hmm. the bike shop and the person getting the bike
0: yeah totally and then in the end you're like i guess i'll sell this to you because that's what you want and like yeah there it is you know interesting yeah
1: huh i so, mean I'll, in the beginning of the pandemic I was. I bought two bikes back from people, because I was like, if you're not riding this, you don't want it. Just let me buy it back from you, because I I have customers waiting for this bike. Oh, that's awesome. That, that want to ride it. I'll awesome. give you all your money back for it. Cool. Oh,
0: huh, that's rad.
1: You well, know, for me, it, it's always been about getting people on bikes, and keeping them on bikes. You know. Most bike shops are about getting people on a bike. I mean, I I can't say most bike shops because that's a generalization. Um, Independent bike shops, for the most part, you know, they really strive on creating lifetime customers. Um, Mm. But some of the big, uh, like, box stores, you know, it's all about having the stock to get someone on a bike right that moment. And then you're you're not holding their hand through anymore. So a lot of times, you know, they feel uncomfortable being in the streets. They don't know where to ride. So then you just you've lost someone, you know, to the normal world who could have been a cyclist.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool to hear. And it's something I haven't thought about too often. There's all these things that kind of have to fall into place for there to be this bigger life commitment to cycling. Oh,
1: so much, so much more than anyone ever thinks about.
0: Right.
1: You know, even getting someone a fanny pack for the first time that has everything in it um, can change their whole attitude on cycling. You know, Um, if you make someone comfortable riding a bike without a tight fitting kit, sometimes that will save their idea of cycling, you know, because a lot of times a bike shop is going to tell you you need a kit to go ride a road bike. When you don't, you know, right. you don't even need clipless pedals. You can have platform pedals on yes. any year. I don't even, I don't even have clipless pedals on any of my bikes, except single speed now. Um, awesome. just because yeah. I wanted to make my life as easy as possible to be able to go jump on any bike and do anything I want at any time, you want know, yeah. uh, especially yeah. when you don't have that much time, you know, I don't want to spend all my time getting ready. You know, I want to be like, Oh, I have, 45 minutes i'm just gonna do a quick loop in the park you know so i jump on my bike with sandals cotton t-shirt normal shorts and you know i just get it done
0: yeah i love it that's sick good perspective uh i don't know if this is a good question why is why is culture in cycling important to you but i kind of mean culture in general but culture is such a big word that but i think I, I, i think you know what i'm trying to get at
1: yeah, no, I get I get what you mean for sure. Um, so I I wouldn't say culture in cycling is that important to me. Um, Interesting. And I think it's because I me and cyclist don't we're not really into the same thing. Um, you know, oh, that, I,
0: I would say is a generalization because you're a cyclist. that, is, I'm a that cyclist. is
1: that is a generalization because my next thing was obviously all my really good friends who I ride bikes with. Um, they're my really good friends because we're into the same stuff. We're into art. We're into design. We're into music. We're into cameras. You know. Um, so culture to me is extremely important. Um, the cultural, the culture of cycling to me is not that important. No, I say um,
0: culture in cycling. So basically,
1: so there could be, be really any culture in cycling.
0: Yeah, but then it also it's it, it's it's like a uh, a cup of water, and you add all these different colored dyes in it, and it all mixed together, yeah. and makes this awesome thing. Because there's cycling history where the track bike came from. Then there's just interesting design and this like you know the the breaking away, and you know there's there's things to it that I, I feel like I'm kind yeah, of painting so, myself a, yeah.
1: No, so I get what you're saying now. So cycling. Today, what we know as of cycling culture, um,
0: not professional it, cycling,
1: right? Some but also we got it. That, that's in there, you know. Um, the The world of going on a big, fast group ride um, and meeting at the coffee shop, ending at the coffee shop. Like that culture is extremely important to people who do it, but it's not important to me. Um, you know. For me, the the biggest thing is going out with people who wouldn't normally be comfortable doing like a trail or a certain ride you're doing, and creating a safe spot for them to go do this for the first time, and then maybe be able to do it later. Um, you know, so culture is extremely important in cycling. Um, there are so many different subcultures in cycling. Like I would say track bikes are a subculture. You know, road biking is a subculture. Mountain biking is a subculture. So it's, it's that's such a broad question. I don't think I could even answer it. Um, but for me, the community in my cycling world is the most important thing to me in the world next to my wife and daughter now. Um, so that is That's really important, and that community became something because of subcultures.
0: Yes, yes, and I think it is specifically subcultures that I'm talking about because even Traco was a subculture website.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, and that subculture is what created my current cycling family, which like what I said is the second most important thing to me in my life. Yeah. You know, the – the community which I have through Trachosaurus Rex, now through, you know, my Instagram, now through Golden South Psych3, um, I mean it it's 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 priceless. It is the most it is the most valuable thing I have as an individual is that community. That's sick. Huh. I mean it's kind of wild when you you know someone almost anywhere in the world that you're going that can help you have a better experience there. And that is one of the most important things you could ever have, um, is you have someone anywhere in the world that can make your experience that much better. Through this, like, network. You know, I try to to be that person with Los Angeles or places that I go a lot. You know, if someone has any questions, you know, next thing you know, they're going to get a three paragraph long email from me about what to do or what, where to eat. Yeah. That's so sick.
0: Huh, very cool.
1: Uh,
0: what, I have, mean, the last
1: time I was in Portland, I got got the pizza list and I ended up with like nine different pizza spots. Oh, which was your favorite
0: or
1: top? Um, or top it three? was, I can't even remember what it was called, but it was, uh, it had a kind of a strange name. Was it Dove VB? No, that's the. Actually, that used to be my favorite. I used to go to Portland for my birthday to eat that pizza, but then I found out that pizza actually originated here in Los Angeles. Oh. Uh, so now I go there, and that spot's called Zello's. Um, but yeah, that corn pizza, the yes. corn meal crust, yes. corn pizza that they do yes. is from uh, here in Los Angeles.
0: Have you done Little Star in SF? So-
1: I've never done... I don't think so. Oh, Maybe. That's also, what? I. you know, I haven't been to San Francisco in years. That's your favorite?
0: That's the best pizza for me, for sure. It's cornmeal, but yeah. they do something with the sauce that... Fuck, man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love spicy marinara, so if there's any kind of spice in the marinara, you kind of had me right then and there.
0: Like hot spicy? But the place...
1: Yeah. Mm. But the place in Portland had a weird name. It was like pizza... Pizza something.
0: Nista? Oh, no, that's in L.A. <laughs> no, that's here.
1: I don't remember what it's called. I'll, fig- I'll figure it out. It's okay. But that was the coolest thing is, you know, I hadn't been to Portland in years, and I just reached out to people and said, hey, I need to eat the best pizza in Portland, and I got a list of, like, eight spots, and I just went to all of them.
0: Dude, and then you go to some of them, and you're like, this is the shittiest pizza I've ever had. How the fuck was this <laughs> someone's favorite pizza? I
1: actually pizza? didn't... I didn't have... I, I don't think I ever had a bad piece of pizza in Portland. The last time I was there, man. I also went to uh, I went to this Mediterranean restaurant there that was mind blowing as well. But I don't remember what it was called. Oh, cool. Oh, it had some crazy name, and it was it was pretty it was it looked pretty hip and it was pretty famous. But it was super good. My last trip to Portland for the Speedwagon Build Off um, was one of the greatest trips I've ever. Been on in my life. Oh, damn. Uh, that's
0: great.
1: Yeah, got to go to Ravello before they closed. Shot it for the Radivist. Uh, you know, Sick. got to got to go to Gladys Bikes for the first time. Um, I mean, uh, also Golden Pliers had just opened, so I got to go to Golden Pliers oh, right yeah. in the beginning. Um, it was a it was a beautiful trip, and I left with a speedwagon, which that you don't know, that just doesn't happen that, that often.
0: That is a fucking. Kill. And you got and you
1: exclusively ate pizza. Ate <laughs> pizza only, and that Mediterranean restaurant.
0: But <laughs> hey, have you noticed uh, like a, a much of a shift since you've had your first child? And what's your what's your child's name?
1: Uh, Frida Love Kelly. Frido. And yes, Frida.
0: Frida Love Kelly. Yeah, Frida. Uh, and so Frida... the shift might have happened. You know, when you first found out
1: that you were pregnant or, you know, you know what I mean? No, it definitely didn't. Our biggest shift was uh, we we had we had some complications in the beginning. Uh, Liz's water ruptured early. Uh, So we yeah, we spent two months in the hospital.
0: Oh, whoa!
1: And that's when the real shift happened. Whoa, that's heavy. It was it was absolutely wild. We really didn't know how we were going to deal with it in the beginning. Um, but one of the reasons Frida's middle name became Love was uh, we were shown so much, so much support and love from our family and friends here in Los Angeles during all of that. Um, it really it really got us through those two months. Um, wow. It was crazy. So Frida was born on August twenty fourth, twenty twenty
0: wow yeah congratulations That's now things,
1: now things have really changed i don't yeah, sleep anymore yeah liz definitely doesn't sleep um, <laughs> so it's it's been difficult but it it's been amazing it's been the we took her to the beach for the first time yesterday for my birthday Whoa. uh and it was absolutely oh, wonderful yeah.
0: and yesterday so she's like one month away from your birthday
1: yeah so she is exactly one month and then my birthday
0: That's cool. Wow, that's a pretty good birthday present.
1: Yeah, it was the best birthday present, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Perfect cue. I like that.
1: Yeah.
0: "Yeah." (laughs) Uh, Well, I don't know. We're at an hour, so we could could top it off. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about or anything before we
1: seal the deal? Mm, Not really. All right. Well,
0: I guess maybe that's it
1: then. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Yeah, of course. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Kyle, for being on the podcast. Congratulations with that new little one. Very cool to see this chapter unfold for you. If anybody wants to learn more about Kyle or follow the antics of Golden Saddle Cyclery, you can find them on Instagram at Kyle B. Kelly and at Golden Saddle Cyclery. And big shout out to today's sponsor, the Everything's Been Done Gear Shop. The Everything's Been Done Gear Shop has everything you would ever imagine, never knowing that you needed. EBDgearshop.com, which is not true. It's actually links. You to look in the description. All right. Thank you for joining us. If there's anything you liked, hit the like button. Give us a good rating on whatever platform you're listening to. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you. And we will see you next week. Same time, same channel. Toodaloo.